Boston Sports Syndicate. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Boston Sports Syndicate Red Sox podcast to be named later. This is the Syndicate's podcast dedicated solely to the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball. I'm Bill Travers. Thank you for joining us. And oh, we got a lot, a lot to talk about in this podcast. And I am joined by two very excited gentlemen, my usual co-hosts for the podcast, Matt DeRosha and Chris Henrik. Gentlemen, are we psyched or what? No, I'm not psyched at all. Oh, come on, Matt. You're killing me. I'm not even a little psyched about this amazing news. (laughs) I mean, I've had baseball. I've had the KBO. So, I mean, what what, a big deal. (laughs) Big deal. (laughs) Chris, how are you doing? Uh, You know, it's um, Wednesday right now. It it feels like this is the longest work week that I've had in a long time. So, this is nice to just sit down and kind of talk some sports and – yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So in case uh, you're wondering what we're talking about, and I'm guessing if you listen to this podcast, a podcast about baseball, that you probably already know, but the Major League uh, Baseball and the Players Association, I wouldn't say they came to an agreement. I would say an agreement was thrust upon them, but they finally decided, okay, let's play some baseball. So it looks right now, I don't think anything's 100% certain in in the year of 2020, but it looks like we are going to have baseball starting very, very soon. Teams will be reporting for what we'll call spring training, uh, in air quotes. That's going to start July 1st, and it looks like the season will start probably on July 23rd. Uh, we're looking at a 60-game regular season. Mm-hmm. At this point, we'll take it. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, like you mentioned, it it wasn't an agreement uh, necessarily that they came to. It was uh, Rob Manfred, you know, implementing the 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 season and the amount of games per their March agreement. But I do have to give the players uh, just one kudos right off the bat. Uh, you know, the whole when and where campaign became kind of their battle cry uh, after, I don't know, was their second or third owner's proposal and so far the players are just continuing that that cry you know when and where we're excited the baseball's back you haven't seen too much resistance in terms of who's going to be there or too much belly aching about how it's going to be played or the amount of games so i do have to give the players credit they have uh you know they were talking the talk and it seems like they're going to walk the walk you know funny uh, personal story um i i this kind of reminds me of when i got married and my wife-to-be at the time, who is now the matriarch of the syndicate, um, she was making all the plans, and basically I just told her, just tell me what day and where and when to show up. So that's what the base, that's what the Players Association did. They just said, okay, tell us when and where. You know, Bill, that's actually great marriage advice for all you uh, maybe about to be married or one day we'll be married or newly married. You know, I've only been married for a couple of years, so I'm not an expert on it, but I can say that the two years we've had together – it runs a lot more smoothly when it's just I'll show up when and where you do the, you know, you tell me what to do and I'll just show up and do it. Yep, you pick your battles and I haven't found one that I really needed to pick yet because, nope. you know what they say, happy wife, happy life, right? And it's, you know, it sounds cliche and it's goofy, but guess what? It's 100% right. So we're already off the rails giving marriage advice. <laughs> so let's, let's... 
and so, to just let the let let our faithful listeners in on a little behind the scenes, we usually do a quick, uh, you know, two or three minute chit chat before we get started, just to kind of get the flow of the show and what we're going to talk about. And about what was it, two minutes in, Bill? We were already off the rails in our pre-production meeting. So right. that's just what we do here. We live that life. Two minutes in, talking about another major news about something coming back, but we're going to tease that for later on. So let's get back to uh, baseball. So a 60-game schedule. Uh, each team will play basically its own division and the corresponding division in the other league. There will be 40 games against division opponents and 20 games against the other league opponents. So that will break down to 10 games against each opponent in your own division. And it's looking like uh, it will just be four games against the other league, although I did see a report recently that there may be six against a rival and then two against other two or three against other teams in your division. So I think there's still some things to be worked out there. Um, you know, are they going to play all five games? You know, they're going to visit a city and play all five games while they're there? Or, or you know, is it going to be two-game series, three-game series? I would think they'd want to cut down travel as much as possible. So uh, there's still more news that has to come out. What do you guys? Uh, how, how do you feel about the way it's looking like the schedule is going to play out? I think yeah. what for 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 60 games, this is the best that they could do. It makes the most sense. It still gives. I you know personally, I would have liked them to have zero interleague games because I think that would just kind of spice up the World Series just that much more. Uh, not having you know, let's just say for instance, I won't I won't be a homer here. I, I, let's say the Yankees play the Braves in the World Series. They're going to play each other in the regular season. So it, it might take a little of that kind of hype uh, off the World Series, but I don't think enough. But overall, I think they did a good job. Um, I am a little bit ex- – not excited, but I am anticipating their over- their final decision on the schedule because I've seen certain things. Like you said, Bill, they may play six against a certain division rival, and I've already um, noticed some, some belly aching on Twitter uh, – this particular person on Twitter is an Angels fan, and the rumor circulating was they would play the Dodgers six instead of four uh, because of how close they are. I mean, they're only separated by, what is it, 20 minutes of highway or whatever. Uh, and so, of course, that fan was all but hurt that they would have to play a dominant team more than others. But, you know, you'll have those complaints, but I think overall it's the best they could have done, and I, I'm happy with it. I can't say that I'm shocked, Matt, that there's someone that's complaining on Twitter and belly aching about something. I'm, I'm actually, that's the biggest breaking news of the night. Um, no, Twitter's think, a wholesome app. I don't know if you've ever been uh, on there, yeah. but I mean, it's delightful. Yeah. It's roses. It's perfect. Hashtag sarcasm. Of, <laughs> it is. It is sarcasm. Thank you to everybody who follows us. Um, but here's the thing, right? So if I'm the Angels fan, I wouldn't be complaining about that, providing that my general manager of the team would actually sign people who can pitch and not constantly continue to try to hit their way to the postseason, which doesn't really work out. Um, but that's my quick Angels rant. But as, as for, uh, I got to tell you guys something, all right? And I'm going to tell you something that's probably going to shock you. I'm not that excited they're coming back to play. Really? Yeah, no. and I'm, and I'm going to tell you why. Cause I, and I've kind of flip-flopped on this from the last time that we, we recorded. I'm happy that baseball's back. I, I, I genuinely am. I think I was kind of already setting myself up for we're not going to have a season that I that I was kind of resigned on the fact that with all of this back and forth between the two sides that we, we really weren't going to potentially see baseball happen that I was kind of like, all right, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, we've already gone through what now we're already in the middle 
of June. It's now technically summer, about to hit July. We haven't had a baseball game. You know what I mean? I've already seen what we haven't had a game since October. So kind of is what it is. So I'll get back on it. I'll get back on that, um, on that, on that bandwagon. I don't mean bandwagon like bandwagon baseball fan, but I mean, in the respective, I just think I, I was already prepared to be let down. So I'm happy they're back. I just, I need this to kind of come to fruition. And there's already some hiccups potentially coming down with the, with this other piece of, uh, with COVID happening. And it makes me nervous. You know, you, I agree with what you're saying, Chris, you're definitely every, you have every right to be skeptical. Uh, but I will push back on one thing you said. Baseball is not back. Major League Baseball is back. Baseball has been back. KBO. Yeah, baby. KBO. But no, I think I think you make a great point. I mean, COVID, uh, we're seeing some spikes in some of the states that, uh, you know, weren't hit as hard, you know, initially in March and April. Um, we're seeing Major League players themselves and their personnel test positive for the COVID-19 already. But so far, I haven't heard much about the, you know, the athletes being really sick. They seem to be more asymptomatic. Um, so I just wonder if, you know, they take the PGA route. If, if you guys are golf fans out there, uh, their commissioner had a press conference today because they just had five players pull out due to COVID. And he said that's kind of what they prepared for. Uh, we're going to have, like, I think the quote was, we're going to have to live with this virus, and there are going to be positive test results, and this show must go on, is basically what he said, and I just hope that Rob Manfred and everyone else can kind of see, see see the ship through, and, 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 you know, there will be hiccups, there will be bumps in the road, uh, there will be positive tests, but as long as they can contain it, you know, and isolate the people who pop up, and isolate people, and track, you know, the the positive tests and who they've come in contact with. I hope they could push through and get through the season. Yeah, I think you yeah, hit, with the, no, go ahead, go ahead. I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, hopefully they can contain it. I mean, if if they're smart and and they follow the protocols, then if one player comes down with it, it's not going to run rampant through the entire team. And they're going to they're going to be carrying additional players. They're going to have a taxi squad that's going to travel with them. The rosters will be expanded, so they'll be able to fill in for, you know, one, two, three players who might get infected. But if that if that gets into the entire clubhouse, and we've seen that with the regular flu, how that can hit a team's clubhouse in any sport and just decimate them, that's going no, that's, that's to just put a stop to the whole thing. If Certainly. They, I, in, in, the, in, in the PJ during his press conference, he actually stated one of the guys who tested positive broke their protocol. So there may be some some actions taken against that particular player, but you're right. If if they don't contain it and they and people just allow it to run rampant through multiple teams within a bubble, that's when I think when we'll see a real issue. I just want to bring up uh, one quick tweet actually that I, that I read from Jason Stark uh, from ESPN. Uh, it, it kind of pertains to the taxi squad idea in the minor leagues. There's actually uh, let me just read the tweet. Actually, here's a wrinkle I hadn't heard before. MLB has been talking with Nashville about having two teams there of unsigned players, and that's what sources say. They would serve as an emergency pool and would make $400 a week. MLB teams would have to pay the fee to Nashville to sign one of those players. So they, they have been thinking a little bit outside the bubble to expand the players that they can use on their franchise. Yes, I did see that, hmm. and they, they won't have minor leagues going on but they'll have that basically the team will have their own 
practice squad, like right, in football. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Of yep. guys that they can draw from. Right, and I think they can invite up to sixty guys to spring training. Right. Uh, so they're gonna, you know, they they are allowing many many players to be involved, so that if you know you lose a guy, because if a guy pops positive, you know theoretically you're gonna lose him for two weeks. And, and again, in, in a shortened season, two weeks. That's, I mean, that's still that's a big chunk of change. It's a huge no. It's a huge deal, and you know they're actually uh, uh, along with the normal ten day. Uh, injured list they're also going to institute a COVID-19 injured list that actually doesn't have a specific number of days to it you know and so if a guy has a test positive or you know he's been confirmed to be exposed to it or you know he's showing any of the symptoms the teams will be able to put those players on a, a special IL you know in hopes of containing it getting it back on the field but you know for like you said Chris 14 days of you know, a 60-game schedule or a 66-day schedule could be huge. Yeah, and they have to test, ne- <clears throat> excuse me, negative twice before they can come back onto the roster. Wow, yep. I didn't even know that. That's, yeah, that's, I mean, you're going to see it, and I th- I hope these players, you know, keep have a good head in their shoulders and they and they don't, they're not tempted to go out and enjoy nightlife or, you know, whatever, you know, off-the-field stuff that they typically do in a given season, they have to know that this is a special circumstance. And, you know, it really does rely on their compliance for fans to get a good baseball season. That's going to be hard, though. I mean, you know it's going to be an issue. You know, I mean, look at what we see on TV. People are so quick to take out their phone and record everything and get, you know, get that social media interaction and engagement. You know full well that if that if anybody sees a major league ball player out at a, at a nightclub or a bar, when they're supposed to, whether they got permission to come out of the uh, bubble or not, um, you know full well that that's going to end up on Twitter and it's going to be a complete dumpster fire. Um, but there but, isn't going to be yeah. a bubble for these guys. It's not like yeah, the NBA no, going to Orlando well, or the NHL yeah. locking down in two cities. These, these guys mm-hmm. are going to be traveling from city to city. So you've got the, tr- the travel implications and then staying in different hotels when they travel. Yeah. So it, it's going to open them up to more exposure and more potential uh, contracting of the disease. Certainly. And, you know, I, I, it sounds like they're do, the MLB are taking a lot of precautions. Obviously, they're a multi-billion dollar corporation that have the resources to help these players out. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the players and them being mature enough and responsible enough to not linger about. Because you're right, Chris. If they go out, they're going to be caught. Someone's going to take a picture or a video of them going out and that was you know that's the rumor that's coming from philadelphia was a group of players uh went out and just they just said they used the word establishment but even if you know they just probably just went to a bar grabbed a couple drinks after practice and then test you know they were testing positive left and right so it i understand the players are going to be tempted and i understand this isn't normal but they're professionals they're getting paid money to to play baseball, it is now their job to also not go out and frolic about town. And that's where we're seeing the outbreaks around the country in Florida and Texas, where they do have like nightclubs and bars are open and people are going there and the disease is just spreading. So the players are going to have to avoid things like that. Just totally avoid it. Not, And it's going to be hard, as you guys know, you're closer to that age than I am, but it's, it's harder to avoid those kind of things. When you want to go out, you have that need to go out and socialize. You know, they're going yeah, to have I'll to be, lock themselves down for 66 days. I'm going to be honest with you. I went out um, a couple weeks back. I went down to Providence, 
and it was weird. It was it was really weird to be inside around. I mean, I've gone to stores and stuff like that, but when you're sitting there and you, you don't, you know, you're not having to wear a mask anymore. I would, you know, put my buff mask up up and down, but it was weird to kind of like, you know, go to two different places and and things like that. And and I was, you know, skeptical and and still kind of somewhat concerned that there could be a possibility that someone in there could have it. But to Matt's point, as long as these guys are being smart about it, this is going to be a good test for them as well. You know, because they, they all, the players also talked about the big game with this when and where and, you know, talking about safety and and the the money aspect of it. You really want to show major league baseball, how serious you were about playing. Take this now, take the next 66 days, super seriously, make sure that you're committed to baseball because if they have players like left and right, this is just more ammo for the owners to go back and say, hey, look, during last season, we had, you know, the, the corona pandemic going on and you guys didn't take it seriously. We tried to go out there and play and a ton of you guys went and, you know, you spiked with your, your cases, players are out, bad look on the league. I, I, I'm just, I don't know, devil's advocate. I'm just looking at both sides right now. There, there, there's a lot to lose for both sides. Well, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to bring that up. If they can't finish the season not only will players likely not get their service time for the season, but sal- uh, luxury tax thresholds will not reset at the end of this year if they can't complete the season. So that could have major implications for the Red Sox. Sure does. It I sure, actually, sure does. I wrote this down because I, I I probably should know this, but I, I, I don't. So the, the the maybe when they traded Mookie Betts for salary cap relief, uh, against the luxury tax, uh, if they don't play the season and they go back to the 2019 uh, penalties and rates, would that trade then become completely useless? It would be. But yeah. but the question is, would Mookie be able to become a free agent at the end of the year? Well, not if the service time yeah, right. reverts to 2019. Right, because I think they're waiving the service time requirement as far as number of games based on the shortened season. But, mm-hmm. if, they, if, but if they complete that, that's gone. But if they can't complete the season... He could be back with the Dodgers next year. Have no choice. Ooh, get the conspiracy I, theories ready. Tinfoil hats. All of a sudden, you can see Mookie Betts frolicking about at Los Angeles wow. because they don't, the Dodgers <laughs> made him do it so that he doesn't have to uh, leave after 60 games. Team party out after a couple of wins. And Mookie Betts. You know what, though? Like, I kind of hope that, obviously, they get through the whole season. And obviously, we want that to happen. And a lot of this, like, banter back and forth with some hopefuls and like the you know the Boston media and outside of that that wants Mookie to come back I really see Mookie I, I think a one-year deal it probably makes the most sense no especially coming off a six six game season I think you know what happens if Mookie what say he say he hits like 220 say he just has a bad stretch of games it's 220 and you know pops eight home runs you know I, I don't see someone being like hey Mookie here's you know 200 plus million dollars I think he's gonna have to settle on a one-year deal I don't think a bad short season is going to hurt a guy like Mookie, but I think the economic climate of baseball is going to stop him from getting a big contract. So, so I think that probably lends more to signing the one-year deal, you know, and, and get your money when you can, not not try to get the long-term deal and take a take a risk, take a chance that you're going to be able to cash in the following year. Well, the other thing I think with that too is, if let's say he does a one-year deal. That opens up his market, and that, that there's now you might go from just you might go to have 20, 25 suitors from rookie bets. You know, it's going to be the highest one year and whatever that yearly compensation is going to be. 
That's why I still don't think the Smokey potentially coming back is a slam dunk. And I think the people who think that it is, I I don't know. You, it's time to be a little realistic because I just don't I don't think it's as, as a guarantee as we think. Oh, I don't think it's a guarantee by any stretch. I mean, yeah, those, I don't think so either. Those are the same people that thought that Tom Brady would never leave the Patriots. Exactly. Those are the bobos out there. <laughs> and uh, you know, and what? I was one of you them. Mentioned- yeah, you know, I, I, I'm a bobo. I'm not going to lie. I'm a bobo for many different things when it comes to Boston sports and otherwise. Kiboom Heroes, big-time bobo. Uh, but I think, you know, after you mention this, Chris, I think the only way you see Mookie Betts in a Red Sox uniform again is on some tor- some type of one-year prove-it deal where he's just comfortable in a spot. He can go there and he knows he can perform. But I just don't see them get, giving him big money. Uh, and I don't see him coming back unless he's looking for a one-year prove-it deal. Then I think the yeah, chances but, go up a little bit. Yeah, I bet a one-year prove-it deal, let's say the Red Sox go, okay, one-year, $28 million, and then the Yankees come over the top and say, okay, one-year, 32 You know, he's going to go – he's going to the highest bidder. Oh, no, uh, no doubt. No, no doubt in my mind. But, I mean, you know, one-year and 28 it's not a poo-poo amount of money. So if that's, you know – if that's the market, if that tops the market, I could see him coming back on that one-year deal. But I don't see him coming back here uh, if if it's a free-for-all, highest bidder, multiple years, hundreds of millions of dollars. Or he could just. So that's a topic for a different day. He could just take. It is whatever. a topic for another day, another podcast. I actually want to. I want to just jump back really quick because we were talking about you know some of the uh, the way the rosters could potentially look. Um, what's your guys' kind of like thoughts on? The universal DH. What's the? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm excited about that. I think that's long overdue. I agree. That's, that's just my opinion. No, I agree. It's time. I mean, yeah, it's cool to watch a pitcher hit from time to time, but for the most part, you know, it's 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 boring and dull just watching him take three strikes. So it, it's time to get both leagues playing under the same rules. Yeah, I completely agree. I love the Universal DH. I mean, Bill, you wrote about it, and I had a short sin to take about it, uh, using this short season as a bit of an experimental season. And they didn't go full gung-ho in that direction. But, I mean, they have implemented a couple of kind of quirky rule changes that will maybe get the ball rolling with some serious change later on. I mean, we talk about the Universal DH, which is fantastic. I'm sick of seeing pitchers hit. You know, Madison Bumgarner has one three, one three home run game in five years, and all of a sudden, it you know the public believes that pitchers can hit. They bat like on aggregate, I think it's a buck ninety or a buck even maybe even less. I mean, you're talking about automatic outs. I'm excited to see these Universal DHs. And on top of that, you know, if you're a National League. If you're a fan of a National League team, I think you should be super excited about this because, you know, on at, the run production was really high from the National League, and if you removed the pitcher spot, it actually was higher than the American League. So adding that DH in lieu of a pitcher hitting, I think is going to prove to have a lot of offensive upgrades in the National League. So I think it's just positives all around, truthfully. Yeah, I I like it. Uh, uh, that be, that I said, guys, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to. You know, again, we, we, you know, like Bill said, we get both leagues playing under the same rules. What, what is it? The only sport that had two different rules for their leagues, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, plus it gives, it gives opportunities for guys to kind of showcase as well, you know, in the shortened season. You know, guys can audition for some jobs, guys who, you know, there could be some older players that have an opportunity where they can, 
I don't want to say revitalize their career, but they get an opportunity where they can, you know, they can go to a team and, and hit and not have to worry about playing the field. So I think it's, it's, it's a win-win. It's a, and it's, it's hopefully this stays beyond. And it, was it a two-year test or is it just this year? No, it's just this year. Yeah, it was proposed initially from the owners to be a 2020 and a 2021 uh, rule change, but because they never signed any type of agreement, it was implemented that it would just be 2020. But I wanted to ask you guys, do you think it's here to stay forever, or do you think it's the one-and-done scenario that comes back maybe after the next CBA is negotiated? I think it's probably here to stay. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I I would hope that the players wouldn't fight this one, and this is going to open up more jobs for them. You know, cause, I completely agree. You know, you're going to have your your guys like your David Ortiz types that, you know, they're going to be able to linger longer if they have that option to be a DH. So more job more job openings for those kind of guys. I'm just wondering personally. Oh no, go ahead. I, I'm just wondering, is there anybody out there who would fit that category right now? That's a free agent that could hook on with a National League team because I'm guessing most of them don't have an in-house candidate. You know, their rosters are, are structured for the double switches and things like that. So. They may not have that offensive force that they can put in as a DH. You know, maybe lo- Yaziel Puig. Yeah, he's a free agent right now. That's the first person that came to mind. But I mean, a, a lot of these National League teams, they they seem to run deeper uh, uh, than American League teams because they continuously fluctuate and continuously put other guys in the lineup. Uh, so I just wonder if they will benefit, kind of just naturally. And they may not have had a, a, an obvious pick at their DH, but rotating guys in and keeping an extra bat in the lineup overall kind of you know satisfies that new rule change. But I will say this, I, as a Red Sox fan, uh, if they don't keep it for 2021, I might be okay with it because I think that just you know helps Red Sox fans believe that JD will stay because if Universal DH is here to stay from now till the end of time, you could see him opt out and, you know, he's going to get a big contract because his bat is as good as anyone's in the league pretty much. And if you can DH all 30 teams and not just the American League, that market will expand beyond belief. Yes, and I believe yeah. I believe Chris wrote an article on that recently. Yeah, no. Yes, yeah, he did. I did. I did, and I, I, you know, that concerns me. It's, you know, and I know we, we, did, we did talk about it on the podcast where, you know, if – at the end of this season, what could his market be or what could his value be? And does it make more sense for him to stay in Boston and make, you know, the 23 to 25 million or can he get, you know, a, a better lucrative deal out there? So the real big unknown obviously is what these players are going to be able to get during, during the off season, you know, uh, what's going to come in there from a revenue standpoint, what kind of money is going to be there? Will fans get to go to any one of these games in different areas of the country? Probably not. Um, you know, just from what I'm seeing, you know, in, in my, you know, work field right now, this is like out of control, you know, so who knows what could happen with MLB and what kind of money could be there is once they can, you know, if they can allow people to go, but I would be concerned if I'm a Sox fan, I would be concerned because JD Martinez, he just, he compliments that lineup beautifully. And, and, you know, you've already lost bets. And now if you lose Martinez on top of that, and you just only got Bogart's endeavors, yeah, it's a good three, four duo. There's really nothing else there yet that's shown us that we can be like super excited about. A lot of young prospects, but still kind of waiting to see some of these guys kind of develop versus outside the hype that they're running. I don't know if this would be a hot take or not, oh, but 
I think losing J.D. Martinez would be a bigger loss than losing Mookie Betts. Hmm. And I, and I don't think it's relatively close at all. To the lineup, yes. I got it. To the lineup. Got to yeah. tell you. To the lineup. I and you know what? To the overall that. team, because I think that their defensive outfield is still very good, even without Mookie. And um, I agree. I, I've seen this. This is a statistic that has made its rounds through all of social medias and MLB Network and so on and so on. There were three hitters in the the lineup last year that had an average of 300 or, or better, uh, 20 home runs or more, and 100 RBIs or more, and none of them were named Mookie Betts. So I think losing an anchor – I mean, we saw how much of a loss it was to lose David Ortiz, and then we saw how much of a benefit it was to bring in a guy like J.D. And I think losing him yep. would be catastrophic for this lineup. 100, 100, 100% agree. I, saying like, oh, let's keep Mookie Betts, that's like, that's the cool thing to say. That's what everybody wants you to hear. That's what gets you to click on the articles. That's what gets you to listen to the podcast. I think we need to be realistic. Yeah, he's a great player, generational style guy, top five player in Major League Baseball. Is he great worth bowler. the cash? Yeah, great bowler. Is he, is he worth the cash that he was asking for? Well, I don't think he is, and I think that the days of these players getting that kind of money, at least in the near future is probably over. Um, you're right, Matt. I, I've, I always thought that Mookie Betts, the, the year that he won the MVP, that should have went to J.D. Martinez. Mookie Betts became a better hitter. I think he was, I think he was having Martinez in the lineup was, was a huge benefit for, for Mookie. I, I, I just, I think that, that J.D. Martinez is a huge important piece to that lineup and they lose that. I, hopefully Haim has something up his sleeve because I just think that's where do you fill those shoes? Like what you know, what do you have in your system to trade for, you know, that next up and coming bat? What team is gonna give that up? You know, I just think it's a lot to think about. And the twenty three to twenty five for J D isn't a bad isn't a bad chunk of change. See, I'm not as worried no, I'm not as worried as you guys about him leaving because I don't see the market being there after this season with the economic climate the way it's gonna be. I don't know. I, I hope so, but I hope you're right. I'm so on your side of this. Having that universal DH, you know, I like. What if the Sox don't have a good season this year? Let's let's say the Red Sox finish fourth place or whatever place in this new division piece. They'll make the playoffs. JDC's okay. A lot of young players. Opts out, goes to like a St. Louis, goes to an Atlanta. There's there are so many other. There are so many other options out there at this point. When once you expand to the whole league, you know I. But if I would hate to see the guy go. If this COVID thing is still hanging around by the time we get to the winter with no end in sight, and they're looking at the prospect of playing next year without fans in the stands and the owners losing money, I, I don't see owners shelling out huge contracts to free agents. That's a great I really point. Don't. Oh, that's I, such, I would agree. That's such a strong I, point, Bill. It's gonna be it's gonna be hard. It's 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 gonna be a really hard thing because again, if I'm if I'm JD Martinez, I don't care how big the market is and how many teams are available to me. You know, does it make sense for me to walk away from one year right now that I can that I can guarantee a dollar amount because I hold that power, or in the words of David Price, I hold all the cards, or do I run the risk and then a team I end up only getting like 15 million? Oh, and then all of a sudden COVID is still going on. We have another shortened season, and my 15 million dollar salary is now three. So yeah, I you know Bill, you make a lot of good points. I I I agree. I just 
it's been a tough podcast for me today. I feel like I'm pretty <laughs> negative. I'm trying not to be, but I'm trying to be. Chris, you know? whatever adult beverage you have by your laptop right now, chug that thing, baby. We need you positive. Let's go. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. I'll be negative about something. Uh, this is another rule that they're going to implement this year. They're going to start extra innings with a runner on second base. I hate this rule. I really do. Elaborate. Please elaborate. Why? Is that is that the problem with baseball, is that we have long extra inning games? Is that really the biggest issue with baseball? No, baseball's issue is that the games are just too long in general. So It takes you four you hours know, to get to that tenth inning. That's the problem with baseball. Exactly. You know, yeah. Bill, I, I think you're right. You're definitely right because I honestly I don't even know if um, that starting a runner on second base in extras uh, will really be that effective because you could see a lot of one run innings. Right. I mean, For how hard teams. is it to bunt them over to third sure. and then sacrifice fly? So I don't think it's going to be as effective um, as maybe some think. But I, I, oh, I as a as a meta baseball thought, I think it's just good that they're implementing anything to try to help, you know, bring some some oomph back to the game and a little bit of enthusiasm and a little bit of, uh, you know, extra spark. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be all that effective. But on the other hand, I didn't think moving the extra points in football would be that effective. And, but the statistics say there were a lot more missed extra points than there have been over the last 10 years because of it. So what do I know? That's a, That was a good thing for the NFL. I actually like that. It makes it more challenging. Um Here's here's why I actually like the runner on second base in extra innings. We've said for a while that Major League Baseball never wants to change. They're actually trying to change. And, you know, it's one of those where, and I'm not saying, you know, Bill, I'm just saying in general, like sometimes fans like, hey, we want change, we want change. Then we implement the change. They, we're not happy with the change. So I think it's, it's, it's good to try it out. Again, it's only 60 games in 66 days. And, it's it's a, a good sample size to try to see how many I mean how many training games we're going to get maybe this year, you know out of all the games that are going to be played, you know, to me it's it's weird because you know when you look at it from a statistical standpoint, the guy who got the second base, you know, say it's say Jackie Bradley we put him on and he's the guy that goes to second, scores a run does it count towards the stats you know does it count towards the, for the RBI for the other guy do the stats like stop counting because baseball is driven strictly and wholly on stats. You know, when you go to put that player out there, does it impact his on-base percentage? Maybe I'm just thinking too deep here. I don't know. But no, like, you're not. You're def- I've heard this sentiment know? being voiced, uh, you know, on social media. Well, if you, put a, but if I, you I, put a pinch runner in, who gets credit for the run scoring? It's the runner. So I'd look at it the same it'd way. It would be the runner at that point. Yeah, yeah. Also, too, so, Bob Nightingale tweeted that uh, the, it, the pitcher, it will, not, it'll be, it, it would be equal to an unearned run scoring. So it wouldn't go against his ERA, but he would get the loss. Just like you would if, you know, the shortstop boots a ball and they score a run because of it. It doesn't hurt ERA, but it will give you a loss. Now, in terms of the RBI, I imagine it's just going to go to the hitter and the run scored. It's just going to go to the runner. So for you fantasy baseball players, I don't know if that's going to really affect you. I'm a fantasy baseball player, and I don't really know if it's going to affect me. But Imagine that. That's that. Imagine, if, imagine if you lose the championship. Because you had the eight o'clock Sunday night ESPN game, and it came down an extra inning game, and a, and the dude drove in a guy who was just given second base, and you lost your fantasy season on that. I would that's that's actually. I no, it's it. gonna happen. It's definitely gonna I happen. That's it. 
that's just what baseball does. It baseball always tugs at the heartstrings in these big moments. So it is what it is. But you know what I do think? I, I, two things about this. Uh, one, I've heard some rumblings. I'm not going to say from who, but I heard some rumblings, hashtag sources, that some of this is a PR move to uh, appease the National League fans who hate the idea of losing the the small ball aspect of games and that this rule change would spark a bunt type of mentality towards the game. I don't know if it's true. It's just something that I've read. Uh, and the second thing, you know, I, I kind of think we're going to see a lot of extra inning games in the 60-game schedule, and here's why. I think because – um, it's going to be so unorthodox on how the managers attack these games. You're going to see a lot of bullpen use, and a lot of bullpen use will typically lead to no, you know, runs not scoring in bunches. So I think you'll see a lot of tie games going into late, uh, uh, late in the game, and which would lead to you know extra inning games. So I think in a weird way, we will see this rule be very, very very well uh, uh, displayed this 60-game schedule. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. I mean, we're going to see a lot of scrub pitchers early in the season as the pitchers are building up their arm strength. So I think you're going to have a lot of high-scoring games. Yeah, right. No, you'll see high-scoring games. Even uh, Dave Roberts came out already today and said he doesn't see any of his starters going more than four innings Mm. in their initials turn through the rotation. And I just think when you get these bullpen guys and the way that bullpens are constructed nowadays, when you see 100 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour over and over and over, it tends to lead to less runs scored. And I think because people are going to go to them so quickly, you know, the scoring difference won't be that that large. It'll be tight. So I think you're going to see a lot of extra inning games this season. And And you know what? Sports just have a magical way of kind of revealing itself in the weirdest of times. Much like I said, that extra point in the NFL. Uh, so, you know, who knows? Maybe it, maybe it turns out to be a great thing. But overall, I think it is kind of silly. I agree with you, Bill. I think it's like a silly little, like, backyard baseball type of uh, fix. But, you know, who knows how it's going to play out this year. Yeah, and I, I want to rebut one thing quick that Chris said about, you know, people want change and then they complain about the change. I'm not against change. I just don't, yeah, I no, just I don't I like change that. for change's sake. The change has to make sense. To me, this one doesn't make sense. If you had implemented a pitch clock, that would have made a lot of sense. Or should I say? Which I think they should have. Should done. I say enforce the pitch clock because that's written in the rules. Pitch clock is, pitch clock is well. It, that's overdue. That's a hundred percent overdue. If you had limited shifts, not no, not allow the second, mm. not allow the shortstop to play in the traditional second baseman spot while the second baseman's playing the short right field. You, I agree you know, with that as well. Those are the kind of things that I think would have been real change that could have improved the pace of play so that, you know, maybe it's only a three-hour game by the time you get to a tenth inning and you don't have to put a runner at second base to start every inning at that point. Or, you know, because it was only a two hours and 50-minute game, a three-hour game, people still give a crap when the tenth inning rolls around and maybe they will actually have an opinion based on this rule change. Uh, Because, you know, if a game is stretching to four hours and then they get to the tenth inning – who cares about this rule change because no one's going to watch it. Yeah, exactly. People aren't still going to be tuned in. No one's going to watch, especially like, I mean, the travel won't be there, I guess this year, but no one's going to stay up past midnight 
to see this. But if they give it to us in a you know a timely fashion, maybe we can be proven wrong. Because I know for me personally, when they instituted the one game. Uh, wild card game. I thought that was kind of silly, and it, I'm completely wrong because that has been great for baseball. That so, is, that you know, is, yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I completely agree with what you guys are saying that this rule is, it's might it might just be a little bit too much change for change sake. Yeah, I, I'm not looking for that to be you know a forever thing because I, I think for to try it out for this year, see how it goes. I don't see that as being the end-all, be-all for what baseball needs to do to change the sport. Pitch clock, 100%. These guys in the minor leagues are being conditioned to have to use the pitch clock. Basically, baseball players need to do the same. So I, I, I would agree with that. I just I like seeing that it's just something different because we've talked about – I don't say we. I just say in the scope of sports, they've talked all the time that baseball needs to try different things, and the purists at heart never want to see that change or see something change, this is a good step in the right direction. You know, it doesn't mean that the, the runner starting on second has to be the end-all, be-all and, and a forever thing. Really quick, I just want to jump in uh, with two quick little points. So as we're actually recording this podcast, Red Sox, um, Sam Kennedy is also doing a press conference, and it was announced that one Red Sox player on the 40-man roster has tested positive for COVID-19. That player's identity has not been obviously announced. And that he also believes that the Red Sox, we could see fans at Fenway Park this season. Has he met Marty Walsh? Because I don't think that's going to happen. Well, the NFL had a little a little news drop today, too, that, you know, they're getting more and more optimistic that they will be able to play along the rules of that specific city and have fans in the stands. And then I think it was, was it Troy Brown? It might have been Troy Brown or, or uh, say, what was it, Tim Brown that's in the Players Association? Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry. I'm not a football guy. I'm a baseball guy. That's why you're listening to the baseball podcast. But they mentioned that he thinks they're, they're going to have complete fans in the stands. So, you know, side note, and you know, you know, I think we've done pretty good. We're uh, 45 minutes in. We haven't gone off the rails too, too much, but I'm going to go off the rails. I'm an idiot. If you listen to these podcasts, you know I'm an idiot. I will probably go to a game if they allow me to. I don't think it's a stretch to think that players uh... – Fans will be in the stands at Fenway if Massachusetts keeps trending the way it has been the last few weeks and, right. and more and more things open up and we can get to phase four. I think you could have, you know, maybe 25 percent capacity in the stands. I don't think that's that's too much of a stretch. That would be great. I mean, what would they do for ticket prices, though? Because if there's only 25 percent capacity, I'm going right up front. <laughs> I will buy tickets in the nosebleeds and sprint my behind right behind home plate if well, I can. Well, that's the thing. you got to keep people in their assigned seats, and you can't have them all congregate together behind home plate. Yeah, that's true. That, that's a great that point. But, again, I'm an purpose. idiot, and I will do some thumbs up. <laughs> Just if you're wearing a mask, keep it over your nose, please. I will, yes. I will definitely keep it uh, a mask on. If I go to a game, okay, I will definitely have a mask on. I mean, I'm an idiot, but I'm not that Not, much not your old catcher's mask, Matt. A real mask. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, you know that's uh, maybe I'll do both as like a, a super precaution. Put put like a plexiglass shield inside your old catcher's mask. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll develop. You know, have you seen some of the concept art on potential football helmets to protect from COVID? That's the type of thing that I'll install in my catcher's mask. Some sort of apparatus that allows me to breathe, see, but also shield my mouth and my nose from all uh, outside forces. You'll be a millionaire. 
Uh, yeah, but it'll be it would be such a hack job with duct tape and stuff that it, I don't know if I'll be able to bring it to Shark Tank. <laughs> I'm out. If you do, if you do go yeah. to Shark Tank, if you go to Shark Tank though. Just wear one of the um, the brand new T-shirts that can be found on the Teespring um, website. Oh yeah, and a hat. And a hat. Don't forget and the hat. hat. And a hat. Absolutely, love you wearing a hat. I, but I, hey, think... I just just ordered a hat myself. Just ordered a hat. Hashtag buy merch. Yeah, baby. Buy merch. But you know what? I think Mark Cuban might play this sound cl- this past sound clip of me admitting to be an idiot, and on that alone, he'll be out. <laughs> and I'm out. But we were, t- we were actually talking about some rule changes. I actually want to talk about kind of a, in my opinion, a goofy rule change, that pitchers will have a wet rag in their pocket as a substitute for licking their fingers. Yes. Yes, I did hear that. What do you guys think about that? <sighs> Isn't that goofy? You know, it's just going to be such a force of habit. I mean, they're not allowing the players to spit or to high-five, things like that. I mean, in the heat of the moment, are you really going to stop and think, oh, I can't spit? I'll I'll be honest. You know, I've said it a million times, and I'm not – this isn't a joke. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of the KBO. They have been pretty lax on the no spitting, no high five rules because I've seen the players do it many, many times and no one's been in trouble for it. So I can't imagine. I mean, it's just such a force of habit to spit and lick your fingers that uh, are you gonna like? I just can't see pitchers remembering that they have a wet rag in their pocket and then use it and then I don't know. Here's what you do: you put the rules in place. That way, you at least you say that it's there. But I like who in Major League Baseball is gonna be the spit police that's gonna be going and, and like micromanaging every single frame of a baseball game. And so, well, all right, well, let's mark it down. Matt Barnes spit in the uh, top of the eighth inning. And, and like, we're going to find these guys millionaires, you know, like I understand, go ahead and put the rule in place. Go ahead. And so at least you can say it's there, but I think it in the grand scheme of things, unless these guys are like spitting in close proximity to each other and all the other stuff, just, a little over cautious. It's going to be like a swear jar. <laughs> <laughs> you have to donate a hundred dollars to the spit jar. You know, that's no, but that's a great point you make, Chris. Like when you spit on a diamond, I mean, do you spit on your teammate? Do you spit you on their stuff? No, you spit on the ground. So what's like, I just think it's, it's, it's it's a nonsensical rule that you put out there so, so that then, the public guess, goes, oh, they're being safe. But in terms of practice, spitting – what's it, what, if I spit on the dirt in front of my cleats at shortstop, who is that affecting? You think about it, right? So we're going to say – we're going to say, hey, uh, Xander, you can't spit. By the way, you've been sweating your ass off playing, <laughs> and now you're going to go ahead and sit on the bench – by the way, all of that perspiration, all of that, all of that coming off your body is going to be on the bench. Is there going to be someone coming in right behind and wiping down the bench? Then a little cleaning cart with, you know, the Bat Boy is going to come on through with the Pharrell cart and start spraying the bench down. You know, like I get it. It's kind of like with 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 at work. It's, where, you know, if if someone returns a pair of sneakers, we put it in a quarantine for four days, but you can go back and try on a pair of sneakers and goes back on a shelf. Like, what are we doing here? Like, right. What's the difference? You know, are they going to have you put the rule in place? Are they going to have assigned seats on the bench that only they can sit at, with maybe like it, six, yeah, six, six great, foot of distance point, yeah. with plexiglass in between? I mean, no. are they going to go to those kind of measures? That yeah, we're going to make a bunch of bunch of penalty boxes for the baseball players to sit in. Like, what are they going to do in the bullpen? 
you know. Well, they can sit in the stands. Players who aren't in the game are going to be sitting in the stands so that they can distance themselves. Like tomorrow's starting pitcher, he doesn't need to be in the dugout. He's going to be up in the stands. And, but and then I, he's going to be in the clubhouse. The are, they, are they wearing a mask when they're doing that? Like, Yeah, they should be. Is it, yeah, I th- in it, fact, know? I think coaching staff has to wear masks. Anybody yeah, they do in the KBO. In the game has to wear a mask. Other than managers, all KBO uh, coaches have to wear masks. Even when they're on the field, first and third base coaches. Yeah, mm-hmm. they have masks on. Yeah, I thought I saw. I, I thought I saw some of the guys. Umpires, yeah. they have. Yeah, masks. yeah, I did see that. So it can't be done. I mean, the KBO's what a month into their season. Yeah, they, I mean, and without. Any, like I know South Korea has had their own protocols that are different than the United States, so you know it's a, probably a bigger overall conversation. But in terms of just that league, they've done a from from you know from a guy from Massachusetts watching South Korean baseball, they've done a great job making sure that the players are healthy and safe and the protocols are being taken. Right. Are you trying to grease them up for that for that hat still with all the positive publicity <laughs> there? Okay, guys. <laughs> You know, fans, li- listen up, fans. This was my first Father's Day. Also, Bill, happy Father's Day. Same to you. Thank you. I- I- and I didn't get a hat from any of you fans. And I'm hurt. So I'm going to do something that, you know, my, my wife's family, who is Portuguese, has taught me. I'm going to use guilt here. <laughs> Guys, I am hurt that you did not send me the corduroy hat from the Key Boom Heroes. I am personally hurt. You say you saying okay, that to us? Over. No, oh, okay. you guys, not okay. you guys. You you guys have the same access to the hats in South Korea as I do. I'm looking for someone from, you know, South Korea to send it on over. When and, you, you know, edit this, when you edit this, can you put like a like a like one of those like soft music backgrounds to go along yes. with that little rant? <laughs> Give me like a Titanic background where I could just kind of like speak to our listeners. Listeners. I want a violin music. How dare you not send me that corduroy Kiwoom Heroes hat on my first Father's Day. That might be a little too off the top. I'm sorry. That's all right. We'll allow it. All right. Thank Let's, you. We do go I'm off. Gonna start a hash, I'm going to start a new hashtag called Get Mad a Hat. We should. Let's start a whole campaign. Everything we do. We'd start a whole campaign around that. But, you know, we're not going to talk about the KBO. But another rule change or another COVID precaution that the MLB is taking that I want to hear you guys' opinion about is players or managers who leave their designated position to argue or engage in altercations with umpires or the opposing team are subject to disciplinary actions, which is be fines or suspensions. So no bases clearing brawls, no uh, further uh, fights after a breakup of a double play can happen, and managers who come out to argue double uh, uh, strikes will also get in trouble. What do you think? Do you think that? Do you think managers and players will follow that rule, or do you think you'll see a lot of fines and or suspensions of you know tempers flaring? Well, again, in in oh, the heat are... of the moment, I don't see where you're going to stop that kind of stuff. But to, to exactly. go along with that, a player can also a player or a manager or a coach can get ejected if he comes within six feet of an umpire to argue. He doesn't necessarily right. have to Jack, even get yeah. up in his face. He can be ejected just from coming close to him. We'll, what, you know, we'll see the first time that happens, if it happens, what the backlash oh, is. Oh, the first time that'll happen, follow Angel Hernandez or whenever he's umpiring. <laughs> yeah, well, then you'll the see. Laz Diaz. Yeah, if you really want this rule to be implicated, uh, I mean, uh, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, used or 
implemented. Thank you, Bill. Uh, get those guys. Do not let Angel Hernandez be the umpire of a game or last Diaz. Chris, any thoughts on that rule? I think it's, I, I mean, I, I get it. Again, I understand it. You know what I mean? Like, I understand what they're trying to do. Obviously, you're trying to, you know, maintain the social distancing and the six feet, and you're trying to put protocols and, and, and safety procedures in place. But again, like you said, Bill, you know full well that the first, you know, in the heat of the, in the heat of the moment, you know, it's, it's second nature for a manager to come on out and, and want to, you know, back up his players. You know, my only thing is like these guys, you know, they're taking significant pay cuts to play. I'd be careful with, you know, the fines, especially, you know, what, you know, what could be the price of those fines actually be, you know, what will, what will a fine be for a player who isn't following COVID-19 protocol? Because you think about it, how many businesses and companies in, in the real world, corporate America, things like that, if you're not following COVID protocol, you're going to get shut down. You know, your, your business could close, people could get fired, things like that. So, Again, I hope the players take it seriously, and I hope Major League Baseball, if they were to dish out the penalties, that it's fair and consistent and, and that the, the dollar amount isn't super egregious, but it does fit the crime. And it's enough to, to get the guys to understand, like, hey, we're serious. We want to we wanna maintain and we want to keep you guys safe, and we want to do the right thing. I think if the players do what they're supposed to do off the field, things like that can happen on the field. Because they'll, you know, That's a they'll, good they'll be safer and you don't run as high of a risk. But Chris, right. you mentioned uh, how much pay- players are getting paid. Have you seen stories that there are some players who may actually owe money to the teams now? Yeah, Colin McHugh. He's one of them. Yeah, because he, he got money uh, in advance from the Red Sox. I don't think the Red Sox should ask the guy to give him the money back unless it sucks. So I think <laughs> right now, let him go ahead. And, uh, <laughs> you know. Let him like, for now. You, the, the you suck tax. Yeah, you know. Um, I could see somebody like the yeah, Oakland A's that. doing that, though. Asking their players oh, to yeah. pay them back. I'm, oh, yeah. Back, you know, in Moneyball, Billy Bean wanted, what team was it, to pay for the soda and the soda machine, if that's actually a true it story. It was his team. You know what I mean? Like, that was, yeah, it was his team. It was the da- David, David, David uh, Justice. Yeah, Justice. Yeah, Justice Tree. Yeah. So I really like that movie. If I can find it on TV tonight, I'm off tomorrow. I'd watch that. Also, anyway. shout out. Go back to one of our previous podcasts. We talked a lot about Moneyball. I, look, I love that movie. I think it's a great movie. And Draft Day. I like Draft Day from the NFL side of it, too. Do you really? I do. I, I do. I I don't know why, because it, it actually, I don't because know. Because it's it, crazy? It, it's crazy, and it's unrealistic. Like, you trade these picks only to get them back type of thing. <laughs> I, it's ne- like, that would never happen unless you're dealing with the you're dealing with Bill O'Brien and the Texans. But, I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> That's true. You know, like, um, but no, I don't – I don't think the, the the teams should be asking these guys to pay money back. You know, they're already taking now less money. They, you know, they're being quote unquote forced to play under an agreement and all this other stuff. I think it's a super bad look if you're going to say, "Hey, we uh, forty k, I'm going to take that." Hey, Colin McHugh, that two eighty two, I'm going to take that back. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. Especially do that. That's like me. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I think especially for a team like the Boston Red Sox, like one of like the mega players and the mega money dealers in the MLB to ask for you know money back would look insane. Imagine John Henry, uh, by the way, we need you to write a check, make it out to John Henry for $282,000. He would get killed by the media. Right. I, I, I would honestly think, I think we would go ahead and probably put him to the fire about that too. 
You know, I think that's that would be absolutely just asinine ridiculous. Which would mean more. We can yeah. start reselling these the owners, Fire John Henry shirts, though. We could. James, get Hashtag it back buy up merch. on the site. Buy merch. Um, but no, I just I think it's a bad look. You, the, the Major League Baseball got what they wanted out of this whole entire thing. Now you're gonna ask for players to give money back. That's going to be a, it's going to set a bad precedent because I, you know, I'm not optimistic for when this labor deal comes up and what that's going to be like. Yeah, so. that'll set a good tone for those negotiations, won't it? I know. Yeah. Let's just, let's just add more gasoline into the fire that will be the 2021 CBA negotiations. I mean, that was one thought that I continuously had throughout uh, this back and forth between the players and the owners was they were negotiating to come back from a unprecedented pandemic they were this was not a labor negotiation but it became such a nasty negotiation i i i can't imagine i mean i'm sure we're going to talk about this you know in a future podcast when it gets closer to that time but man those negotiations after the 2021 season are going to be so brutal and i misspoke it's 222,000 $222 that he would have to repay. That's pocket change for those guys. That's yeah. tip money in the clubhouse. Oh, actually, hang on. Let me rephrase. I misspoke again. His salary this season would be 222 If the Red Sox wanted to force the issue, he technically owes the Red Sox $64,000. Oh, a pittance. He can, he can afford so, that. Yeah, so I, I don't see John Henry asking for it but if he does oh yeah there's no way that's like uh, you know when your buddy buys you a five dollar beer and he doesn't ask you for the money right away if you just ignore it it usually goes unnoticed <laughs> so that's one of those things like if if it doesn't come up there's no way they're gonna notice that they're sixty four thousand dollars short when they run a multi-billion dollar corporation I don't know. From what we've heard, though, throughout this entire process, you would have thought that these guys are crying foul and that they're on the verge of bankruptcy. So, again, nothing would surprise me. But I'm telling you, if they ask this guy for $64,000 back, if I'm calling McHugh, I would just say, you know what, I'm going to sit out the season. COVID, I can't do it. Oh, yeah. It, but uh, the Red Sox, to their credit, has not been uh, – you know, they haven't been too much of a, uh, of a stickler. Like, the Nationals no, right. were kind of on the negative side, but then the public – Kind of their outcry pushed them back onto the the right side. Yeah, Same thing with the, the 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 athletics. Most teams have been pretty good with their employees and their athletes and stuff. So, you and know, Sam, let's hope this Sam doesn't Kennedy, come to fruition. Sam Kennedy even said that, I guess in in the the, the Zoom call that they had, um, that Red Sox employees did take you know, a pay reduction. And now that the season is going to resume, they're no longer going to be asking those employees to take that reduction. So that, that's good. At least they're, they're getting that in the right direction. I mean, a lot of companies, it's like that. Now that you're starting to go back to, you know, quote unquote, quotation fingers, normal. Um, a lot of the employees are not having to be under that pay reduction unless like you're, you know, CEO or CFO or things along those lines and you're doing it voluntarily, things like that. But I mean, that, that's good. Pay pay these guys, these people who put their life in their and, and they dedicate themselves to the game. Pay them, get them back, you know, get them whole again, and 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 let's just start playing baseball and get someone who is being a cynic about all this excited about baseball again. I want to be excited about baseball again, guys. 
Chris, that that sentence you just uttered doesn't get you excited. You just said baseball is going to be back. That didn't get you going. Yeah, a little bit. That didn't get you going. It got me a little. Come on, Chris. A little bit. Today, I'm you know a little side story. Today, I was at work. I was talking to a a buddy of mine, and we were talking about fantasy baseball. And in the middle of our conversation, I just started fist pumping, because that is when it hit me that Major League Baseball would be played this year. And, I mean, I think we, I think the three of us are a very special, you know, a a special case where we love the game and we're very, we would be called seam heads you know the casual fans but like ooh baby major league baseball's coming back and uh chris it's time to get excited we got to get closer we got to get closer and i have to start seeing spring training 2.0 you're going to only have to wait one week one week from today all right well, so is in my calendar anything else with yeah no you're right july 1st so i think that yes. is a week from today mhm so is there anything else with with Major League Baseball coming back, uh, you know, I, I figure in a future podcast we'll talk about the Red Sox themselves and what they're probably looking at for the season. We can actually focus on things like who's going to be the leadoff hitter, who's going to be the fifth starter, you know, get back to talking real baseball. But is there anything more that you guys want to talk about with the league overall coming back? Uh, yeah, actually, I just wanted to uh, mention and maybe get what you guys want, you know, what you guys think also. Bob Nightingale tweeted that MLB has the rights to relocate their team during the regular season to neutral sites for health and safety reasons, but also not just the regular season, the postseason. So what do you guys think about that? What do you guys think about, you know, all of a sudden an outbreak happens in Texas, so the Rangers relocate to a minor league field in Omaha, Nebraska for the playoffs. Do you think that would throw things out of whack do you think that no would, i mean you know i think let, let's be fair the rangers aren't going to make the playoffs they oh, you never know in a short season they got kluber they got a yeah. good yeah. pitcher set they I might somebody just, gets hot for a short stretch give a little bit of credit yeah yeah imagine gallo bet i mean gallo's a typical 230 hitter but in 60 games he could bat 300 and hit you know x amount of home runs i don't want to say the number because in past podcasts you guys know how bad i am at math but yeah they that's a team that could get hot they, I think they're pitching staff. They, they have a solid rotation. I think that they, they built a pretty solid rotation. Actually, I, the way I think that their rotation is built would benefit, you know, the shortened season. Um, and, you know, even just quickly on Gallo, I think right now he is – I don't know what betting site that I saw it on, but I remember I remember seeing it. He's like the odds-on betting favorite to hit the most home runs in the shortened season. I, I wonder what that's going to look like, though. Like, what do you think is going to be, you know – the home run total you know is it hard is it hard pressed to think that a guy could hit 30 dingers this year not in this day and age no right you know so what's that number going to look like i wonder i'm just i'm curious by that i'm actually really intrigued in what the statistics are going to actually really look like for a lot of players and and you know how it's going to look and you know are teams going to use starting pitchers in a traditional sense are they going to have a guy go every fifth day or will you see Will you see starters be used differently that you can really maximize the usage of your of your starting pitching? You know, would Eduardo Rodriguez pitch maybe three times a week? Is he someone that he's more of an opener? He comes in and pitches three or four innings every other couple of days. Uh, you know, I I 
I'm just I'm, I'm just curious if teams are going to think a little outside the box to really maximize every player in their roster. I think to start out as pitchers are building up their arm strength, you will see things like that going on. Just you know, for the first maybe month of could, the season. Yeah, I agree, and I think it could be kind of interesting to watch. So, you know, as a baseball like you know fanatic, you're you've gotten accustomed to a certain uh, uh, pattern of how pitchers come out and where how long they go. They go 100 pitches. They I, bring in the guy from the bullpen, blah, blah, blah. This could just explode and completely demolish, and all of that can become, you know, things, you know, just completely not used and see, like, you know, in Little League. Uh, this is the, the example that always comes to my head is the Little League. I know in Little League you'd go, like, three and three two times a week. Right. You have your two best pitchers pitch three three innings twice. Yeah. So maybe they do something like that where like Erod piggybacks on Darwinson Hernandez and they both go three and then four or four and then three and it gets them to the late innings. I don't know. It's just it's very it, it's you know it could lead to some very cool and very new ways of watching baseball. I I think it may to me unless like and, I, and again I need to like really kind of sit down and look at both sides and do a little more reading and just kind of on the surface to me, it feels like it makes sense. You know, just say like, let's say Chris sale didn't have Tommy John and he was going to pitch this year. You know, if you're going to go to your fifth game, you're probably looking at how many starts for Chris sale, maybe what eight, nine, maybe 10, you know what I mean? Where, you know, all of a sudden now you see him out there every couple of days. Like, does that make more sense knowing that Chris sale could be a weapon at any point? Or now if we want to talk, you know, current day, you know, look at like a team like the Dodgers, Imagine having to see Walker Bueller three times a week, maybe two or three innings at a rip. You know, like I think it's something that teams would have to adjust to. I, I you know, especially how guys do so you think about guys they talk about in baseball, how dominant pitchers are through the first, you know, go round of the, you know, of the batting mm-hmm. order. It's not until the second, you know, even the third round of, of the guys batting where they really start to get down a pitcher's timing. All of a sudden now this season in a 60 game season, you have starters that just see three innings of work and just shut down, or even four innings and just shut down and neutralize, you know, um, a lineup. And you see these guys every couple of days. I like it. I, I think to me, to me, it feels like it makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I don't know. With the stress and strain, you know, at the major league level, I still think these guys need. If you're going to go three innings, you might as well go five. If you haven't thrown that many pitches, because once you're hot. You're going to need that day to, to re, you know, days to recover, to get over it. So I don't, I don't know if it'll get too, too crazy, but I do think you're going to see some interesting things at least early on in the season. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that benef- – I mean, we're going to talk about this in a future podcast, but I think that benefits the Red Sox because they have a guy at the top, you know, who's very innovative and very open to, you know, bending the traditional rules of baseball. And I think if you look at how the Red Sox are built and you look at a lot of just look at the from a pitching standpoint, they have a lot of I don't know if the word swingman is the right term, but they have a lot of guys that are just, you know, in, that are they're non-traditional that could maybe give you two. Maybe he can give you four. He could give you six, you know, and obviously Heimbloom didn't build his roster based off a of pandemic because obviously no one know knew that was going to happen. But in retrospect, now looking but, at it, he, he made some great moves because he stockpiled yeah, a ton exactly. of those kind of kind of guys. Certainly. You know, yeah. think about how many of those arms, how many of those arms that he went and acquired and, and, and people were like, who's Matt Hall and who's Jeffrey Springs? Well, those guys now, knowing that 
you're going to have a 40-man roster. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have that 20-man, you know, off-site roster as well in case something goes goes sideways. The Red Sox have they have a lot of depth for a 60-game season. And, you know, I and you know, a lot of people haven't get I I've been a high bloom fan I, and I've liked his moves. I've been super open-minded to what he's done. I'm curious now, though, like as rosters begin to unfreeze, and I think that it happened as a Friday, are there or was there a move that he could have been working on while we were waiting for baseball to come back? And then he goes and tries to strengthen the rotation. Is there a move that he can make to add a bullpen piece before the season starts? I'm curious if there's some of the dominoes that could fall for some of these teams, especially the Red Sox. I think that's almost a guarantee. I don't know if there will be a trade that will come to fruition because of, you know, people relocating and stuff that might get it might make matters more complicated, but there's no doubt that High and Bloom behind the scenes is working work, is working at it and in, in trying to turn every rock and and figure every solution. So, you know, I wouldn't be shocked as of Friday if they make a quick deal. And that's another point too, guys, like do you think that there? Do you guys think that there's going to be a trade? Because typically teams, when they make a deal, they usually make that deal what around June. It's you know you're at least two months into seeing what you have. I wonder how many teams are gonna are gonna actually make legitimate moves. Well, I did see the trade deadline is going to be I think August 31st. That's correct. Yeah. And that you're 15 games in or 30 games and in. And that your roster. Well, they're only playing 60, 60, so that's half the season. Right, so like a team could be 15 yeah. and 15 and be faced with a tough decision whether they want to sell. So I think what you would see is a, a, a very – I think what's going to work in baseball, baseball's favor is you're going to see a, such an aggressive market at um, 20, 20 free agents because those are the players that teams would be willing to sell. I think you're going to – it's going to be very hard for a franchise – to part ways with one of their prospects or one of their younger players based on a 60-game schedule. But dudes that they know or have a feeling they may lose after the season could be on the block. So I do think you you won't see a lot of trades, but you will see a lot of fighting for, you know, that X number of trades. But a team's going to want to give up prospects to get those players. You know, talk about a rental. 30 games? Right. Right, but rental like the rentals typically go for B's, maybe C, like mostly right. C's, maybe B prospects. So like those guys, I don't see. You know, if you're a team like uh, the perfect team, we brought them up earlier is the Anaheim Angels. They this yeah. is the the year for them to go 100 miles per hour. You know, pedal to the metal, full full bore ahead, get after it. You know, those are the type of teams that I could see them really, you know, give up a B prospect for a reliever or a starter who will be a free agent. So I don't think you'll see a lot of trades, but I do think, you know, maybe behind the scenes, which we may not see, uh, there'll be like some real strong fighting over certain players. I think some teams are going to be reluctant to trade, though, because after 30 games and with only 30 left. Are you really going to be able to make that call that you're out of it, especially if they end up expanding the playoffs? Because that's not off the table yet. Right, but they will do. I imagine they'll do that before the season kicks off. There's no way they're going to expand the playoffs, you know, just a few weeks out no, of no, the playoffs. No, no, no. no, I agree. So teams will right. know that they'll have, you know, whatever chances to but make it. But I'm saying if that um, happens and they do expand the playoffs, 
you know, teams are it's going to be wide open, and all it's going to take is a hot two weeks for a team to climb right back into a playoff spot, and then any, and then anything right, and can that, happen. Right, and that's why I, I yeah. think that some of the more um, trade to win now teams will get in on those players. So, uh, you know, like I said, I don't think the market will be vast. I don't think there'll be mo- like many trades that happen, but I think the the you know the the teams that have good because. Fa- you know, let's face it. Even if the Yankees are fifteen and fifteen, they're gonna go for it. They have to believe that they'll make it because of the roster they've put together and how strong they are. You know, they'll go for it, and they have. You know, teams have prospects that are at that C level, you know, B minus level that they'll trade. So I don't, I don't think it's going to kill the trade deadline, but I, I think it might not be as, you know, there won't be many trades. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And- and I'm looking at the free agent list right now, and there isn't really any player that stands out to me that you need to, like, he's going to be one piece away to kind of, like, put you over the top. I mean, I'm looking at, like, the list, like, like you know, right now, I'm like, if you're looking for a reliever before going into camp, I, I mean, I would take a flyer on a guy like Addison Reed again. You know, he's a free agent, you know, but I'm looking at other names, and it's, you got, like, Blake Wood and Tony Sangrani. Ryan Dunsing, AJ Ramos. It's you know, it, it there's not, there isn't you know, other than Yaziel Puig, he's the only one that's got any name recognition. Maybe Scooter Gannett, but besides that, there isn't much from a free agent perspective. So, you know, it's a good thing that Bloom did his due diligence leading up to the potential of spring training 1.0. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. And Matt, I'm going to be honest with you, I would love nothing more. Than the Yankees to start out the year fifteen and fifteen. Oh, for sure. Hopefully, start zero and thirty. Because Yankee fans, they, they've they've already kind of they've already kind of you know cashed their uh, their check with this, and they think this that this team's going to win the World Series. You know, I don't think there's going to be a parade in general because of COVID. New York's not getting a parade. The the Yankees are not winning the World Series. I think the Dodgers win the World Series this season before the Yankees would even sniff the World Series. Well, speaking of the Dodgers, this is a, a, a little bit of a, a wrinkle that I could potentially see being uh, very, 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 very interesting. If Mookie Betts is slumping, we brought it up earlier, what if he's batting 220? You don't think you can sign him? Why not trade him at the deadline? Oh, I would. If, if LA if LA isn't in it or in LA truly. No, they, I'm saying they, can't... they could be in. They could be trying to win the World uh, Series, and he's not performing. And in a short season, it's going to create chaos. Why not trade a guy like Mookie Betts to get two bullpen guys in a starter or these guys when you know he's going to test the market? So it might propel teams to, you know, force those type of free to be free agents to trade for who knows what. I think that because of the shortened season, you could see franchises acting like fantasy, fantasy? baseball yeah. managers more than ever before. And I think that I can only help the, 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 the popularity and the fandom of the sport. To be honest. I don't know. I'm a little, I'm I, the reason why I'm skeptical on that is, you know, if I was you know, for a second, take a step back, put a GM hat on for a minute, you know, would I go ahead and would I risk trading a couple of even mid-level prospects for a, for a shortened season, what player actually is out there that's going to put me over the top? Does a slumping Mookie Betts put me over the top? Is it worth me trading, you know, a significant amount of players? Think about what the Red Sox received back from Mookie Betts 
and he had one year of control. It was still a decent haul, a decent return for the most part. Now think about you only going to get him for maybe another, we'll call it 30, 25, 30 games. I don't know if there's value in it for the Dodgers that other than just we got bets, let's ride it out, let's see if he catches fire, let's see if we can get into the tournament, get into the playoffs, and, <clears throat> you know, again, catches fire with that. So, but to your point though, Matt, there's going to be a GM, like a guy like uh, Jerry DePoto in, in Seattle. That dude makes a billion trades, you know? Right. I, I could see him 100%, you know, saying, all right, I'm going to give you a top prospect for, you know, for player A because I think it's going to put me over the top. It'll be interesting. It'll be really, really interesting. And, and maybe a couple of, you know, higher profile trades bring some of the, the fandom back because I'm also wondering what it's going to be like for people to, you know, who's going to really kind of like flock to the TV right off the rip. Did they did they really do some damage leading up to this? You know, it's funny. I They definitely did long-term damage, but short-term, I don't think they're going to be hurt all that much because there's if the schedule that they've laid out in the last two days, um, let's just say it's A1, 100%, that's how it happens, they're going to be first to market, right? Uh, I think the first they... professional sport we will see that matters will be baseball if the schedule is correct, yeah, I right? I think you're right. I, I, I don't think, think you're right. I don't know. I thought... I thought. Does the WNBA I mean, can, count? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure, it counts. But we're totally. Well, MLS though, I think I think MLS starts around either that time, or a week or two prior to you know before that. Yeah, that doesn't right, count but either. The, I mean, like, I'm, let's just say you know the the WNBA is fantastic. I'm a huge supporter. The MLS, I'm a huge supporter. All that stuff. Out of hockey. Basketball, out of the baseball, the top, the big four, right? Because you've already got NASCAR and PGA four, back. Yes. Right, right. But right. The, out of the big four, they baseball theoretically should be first back to market. So out of all of this crap and all of this arguing, they still could be first first back. So I think that could be huge for them. And what stinks, and I hate this because I followed this negotiation the entire time, is 10 years down the road, we may look back on 2020 and praise baseball for being first back. I don't think so. I think it's I don't. Be hard. I think that's so. what you call revisionist so. history. Baseball, exactly. But that happens on a daily basis. I'll say I mean, I, I, I'm willing to say I'm willing to eat my words and go ahead and call out baseball for letting MLS kind of get the upper hand a little bit. You know, but I. I don't know. I still think that Manfred is a buffoon. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Really... I completely agree. I still think he should be fired. I still don't think he's the man for the job. And I still think long-term baseball hurt themselves because I think a 4th of July opening day would have been maybe the most important sports opening day in the history of our country. That would have been huge. So I do think they failed on all fronts. I'm not giving them any type of praise. But I do think if they are first to market, given what, you know, I'm a huge fantasy baseball player. I'm a huge DFS fantasy anything guy. Uh, I do think that if they have a six, five, four, whatever the day window is of being the only show in town that 10 years down the road, people will remember that they were first in first back you know so at the end of the day I, I you know i don't know exactly know where i was going with this but i do think that that will be big for them 
You know, speaking of that, uh, did you guys catch the uh, 30 for 30 Long Gone Summer about the uh, – Absolutely. I figured you did. About the Maguire-Sosa chase, that, uh, you know, and how Absolutely. that brought baseball back after the work stoppage in 1994. Mm-hmm. I have not had a chance to see it yet. I have not had a lot of extra free time with, with work in the last, like, 10 days. But I um, I am going to watch it. Yeah, it was – I got to be honest, the documentary wasn't no. great. It didn't really reveal much. You could just watch highlights of the home runs hit by Maguire and Sosa and get the gist of the documentary. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Like, I had forgotten that uh, originally Griffey was pushing him, and uh, then uh, Sosa just had a monster. Was it June? Hit, like, 30 home runs in June, or 25 home runs in June, something like that. And, and, and Yeah, Sosa had that crazy right, surge. Right, and that Maguire hit five home runs in the last weekend of the season to push him to seven. Right, which was – that was awesome, right. And including a day he asked to be right, sick. Right, yes, that that was – He asked he asked to not play, and LaRusso was like, you will regret yes, that until the that day you great. die. So you are going to play. And then he hit two more home runs that got him to yep. 70. So that – yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that documentary that, that was dope. That was really good. But, but they really glossed over the steroids. They, t- they touched on it for they like did, five but, minutes, and that was it. Right. But you know what it did make me realize was Junior definitely did not juice. Because how how he petered off is indicative of using – like the steroid use that, that Sosa – I mean, McGuire says it himself, that steroids are used for right. recovery. Yep. And, it, I mean, it was it – was, it was never showcased more than that documentary when he hit, like you said, five home runs in the last three games. Him and Sosa were tied going into the Friday of that yes. last series. Yep. And he ended up winning, you know, by two home runs because he hit five. He hit two home runs in the last – the second to last and the last game of the year. Yeah. And, yeah, I'd forgotten that they were that close going into the end of the season because everybody – you know, McGuire right. was the first to 62. And then he ended up hitting seventy. But yeah, it was it was a neck and neck for a while there on who was actually gonna end up leading the season. And you know what? I'm gonna go off the rails. Though that documentary showed how cool baseball oh, can yes, be. Absolutely. I I mean, the fact that McGuire hit sixty two with Sosa in right field, and not just that, but Sosa came out of right field to hug him and like showcase it was uh it gave me the feelies because it, it baseball can be great. It can be so great. It can be so fun if they can just package it. It's not about the home runs. It's about the majesticness of the home yep. runs and about the allure of the home runs and the narratives they build around the home runs. And that documentary showed that because you're right. I, I had forgotten how close that race was. I had forgotten how – the entire baseball community thought Maguire was the runaway. And then Sosa stormed back with that game, that series in Colorado and that series at home where he hit three home runs. And then they were tied going into last weekend. That was fantastic. I'm sorry. And the way they portrayed it, like Sosa was a nobody before that season even started. That's the way, that's the way they made it sound like nobody had ever heard of Sosa, even Maguire himself. Like, yeah, I knew about him, but you know, I, I never really thought that much about him. But yeah, you couldn't have you couldn't have picked right. two better ambassadors for the game either. The way that they comported themselves through the whole thing, you know, there was a healthy competition between them, but there really wasn't any animosity, at least that they showed. Um, you know, and they showed a lot of a lot of right. behind the scenes stuff. 
So, yeah, and the fact that they were both in the same division and they played each other so much, it just right. added to the whole thing. I mean, the if you want to equate it to today's game, Sosa and Maguire would be like JD going against Judge to break the home run record. It was like, I mean, Cardinals and Cubs as as big a rival as anything you could see in baseball other than Red Sox-Yankees. And to have them go back and forth and, you know, they showed that clip of Maguire taking a very deep breath when he saw Sosa tie his home run count. It was fantastic. It was, you know. Uh, Watching those things as a baseball fanatic, as somebody who loves baseball as a complete seam head, that was great. Now we spoiled the whole thing for Chris. It's all right. Did you guys watch the junior documentary? I didn't know there was one. The MLB yeah, Network MLB had a, Network. a documentary oh, about oh, Junior. You know, every time I put on the MLB Fantastic. Network, it's, it's either a game from the 1970s or or some old movie. I mean, do they even bother to right. do their regular network show anymore? I don't think you know, so. You know one thing Not I'm right really now. looking no, forward to I, with baseball I, coming back? I think they do. Is getting up in the morning and watching Quick Pitch. Quick Pitch is the best. Quick really, Pitch is the best. I really miss that, watching that. Me too. But no, that junior documentary I'll was fantastic. Have to check that out. They had. I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell you one quick story about it that I thought was fantastic. Griffey Senior tells a story when they played together, right? And uh, so he's playing left field. Junior's playing center field. He tells Ken Griffey Junior. He says, "I'm covering three and a half square feet. You got the rest, <laughs> right?" So Junior comes over. He catches a fly ball. Uh, Right in front of Senior, to the point where Senior puts his glove up to be like, oh, I'm, I, I can't see it, and he catches it. So they go, they, they, they trot back to home to, to the dugout, and the way Ken Griffey Senior tells the story is he got back to the dugout, looked Ken Griffey Jr. straight in the eyes and said, you're grounded, <laughs> and took his car keys away no from kidding. him. <laughs> uh, great story. It was good. It was a great – it was a – I, I highly recommend that documentary. Uh, both documentaries, you know, after we've talked about it, I obviously loved. But the junior one has a little bit more anecdotes, and you know, it's, it's it has a lot of baseball can be cool, and, ba- and baseball players can be awesome. I mean, they even had LeBron James talking, you know, high high praises about Ken Griffey Jr. and how he, you know, made baseball cool. So I mean, I, we'll probably get into this conversation again on another podcast. But baseball, well, I think it highlights things we've said on past podcasts is baseball needs to market itself better and market the personalities right. of the players. And I think those mm-hmm. are two great examples sure of, you know, you go behind the uh, behind the curtain and see what's really going on. And, you know, you can develop uh, an affinity for these players and and really get to know them and want and and like them and want to follow them, which right now baseball is just kind of cold and antiseptic. Right, and to that Agreed. point, like it may, watching these documentaries and seeing Ken Griffey Jr. and seeing Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, it made me really think, like, do baseball players of today love baseball? Because every time you see Bryce Harper, he seems miserable. And every time you see Mike Trout, he seems serious. Yeah. None of these guys seem to portray, uh, uh, you know, a love of the game. That the like Ken Griffey Jr. They kept showing like his commercials and 
all these this guy had a, a million dollar smile and he just like his his he just exonerated like his vibes were so positive about the game and Sosa and Maguire were the same way where you know like we just we just I just said it 2 minutes ago like Sosa came down to hug him after he broke the record it's just I just want these players to show kids and show fans that they love the game and and maybe their love of the game will, you know, provoke fans who don't love the game to love the game. No, that's a great point. And I think it's also a great segue into one other thing we wanted to talk about uh, today, and that's the Red Sox draft that they had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they've taken one of those kind of players uh, with their third round pick in Blaze Jordan. You know, he's touted mm-hmm. as the next Bryce Harper but he seems to be a little bit more of a outgoing personality, maybe less of a, what's the term, squid than Harper. Great yeah. call, yeah. 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 I mean, Blaze Jordan was highlighted in some publications as the next Bryce Harper when he was 14. He's 17 now. And the Sox got him. You know, they paid a first round. The rumor is that they signed him today at a 1.75 million dollar bonus which would put him in mid first round pick slot money and this kid if they can develop him he could be that type of player that you know shows how great baseball is i mean he's got a great name no one can argue his name is not fantastic phenomenal the name. game phenomenal name and just the fact if he can if they if he can come out and be a a good ball player who hits bombs and every interview you see with this. I mean, he's a child. He's 17 is how much he loves baseball and how much this pandemic bummed him out that he couldn't hit every day. And the second he could start hitting, he did. And you're right, Bill, this guy is one of those uplifting baseball names. Yeah. And he seems to have a presence about him too. He, you know, he carries himself very well for a 17 year old kid. He's already got that look of a professional player. And you can tell that type of player when you see them, the way they carry themselves. So get, getting a guy like that in the third right, it, round was probably a steal. It was a complete steal. And, that was. you know, analytics will never tell you that that guy was a steal because he hasn't hit as well as his home run show and his power shows. But I think the Red Sox, I don't know if they did this on purpose or not, but they invested in a popular player in a guy who, if he does hit, will be one of the most popular players when he hits the big leagues. Blaze Jordan will sell tickets from day one at any level he goes to. And I just, and I have to think because of Heim Bloom and where he came from and the team he put around him, he thought more about the on-field stuff than the off-field stuff. But if all of it comes together, it could just be this perfect storm of, you know, the exact player that a, a market like ba- a, a Boston needs. Yeah. Yeah. Heim Bloom, Heim Bloom is actually building the roster. And, and I, like, the one thing that's, that absolutely just drives me nuts is I'm tired, like, tired of hearing fans calling him, like, the, the Tampa Bay Red Sox or the Boston Devil Rays or whatever, like, Look at what Tampa has done, though. Like, they've built solid squads down there. They have had really, really solid sound drafts. They do they do a lot with a little. And I understand that this is Boston. I understand that they that this organization has 
they have that that capital to spend. But just <clears throat> look at look at what Heim Bloom has is bringing in. We've got one year of Heim Bloom, and he's he's added some he's added some talent to the minor league system. Now, granted, we don't know what any prospects going to you know turn out to be for another couple of years. But if Blaze Jordan, his power stays, and it and it you know, you know it coincides to a minor league and then the major league level, an absolute steal. The guy like he was slotted to be a six hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollar player for number eighty-nine. Kid's getting one point seven five million. You're getting a kid that has absolute like. When's the last time that we've seen a player come out of the draft that that was talked about that had this type of pop? And baseball doesn't have a lot of, you know, recognition when it when it surrounds itself in the draft. I, I just I, I like what what Heimblum has done. I really like what he how he's approaching the team. It, it's you don't always win championships by having a bunch of, you know, huge household names. Stick with the Yankees. They haven't won a World Series now in ten years. So, I, I like what Heimblum's doing. I, I I thought this was a great pick. I heard about him even before the draft. You know what I mean? And when the, when the Red Sox got him and. Then going back and watching these YouTube videos and and just just watching the absolute like the bombs this kid hits like it's going to be exciting to see him do that at Fenway. No question, and I think what Heim Bloom, what he showed in this draft was, you know, uh, it was just, it was a men, it was a go get a mentality. It was it was showing that he knows how to use the 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 name and the prestige that the Boston Red Sox gives him to his advantage cuz there is no way he was going to take that kid in the 3rd round and you know backtrack to the 1st round there was no way he was going to take Nick York under slot and then take Blaze Jordan in the 3rd round if he was not going to be able to sign them both and i think what he showed was how he's a his ability to take a small market mentality and work ethic and adapt it to a humongous market like the Red Sox. And I think he absolutely, you know, maybe I'm a homer, maybe I'm just a, a you know a bobo for Heimblum, but I think he annihilated this draft. He lost his second round pick, and I think he came out of it with four good players that show a balance with he spent a little less on round one to sign round three he spent a little a little less on the pitcher from hawaii so that he could get that fourth round pitcher or that fifth round pitcher from florida state i think he killed this draft and then i think from reading uh you know some of the undrafted free agents that he brought in this guy killed it i do i you're not going to see him getting many a a a grade draft uh, recaps from the national media, but that's because they have their own their own biases. They rate these players before the draft, so they're gonna use those ratings on their grades. And but 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 from what from what he did, you know, I just think this. I think he killed it with the Blaze Jordan pick. And uh, kind of be honest, I think he killed all four picks because of that. Well, he certainly dropped a bomb with the Nick York pick because he even had Carl Ravitch stumped on the. Uh... On the on the draft night coverage, right? No, he took a guy with the 17th draft selection that was ranked by MLB Pipeline at like 139. Yeah, it it caught them totally so off guard. So it was a complete it was a complete head scratcher. But even if you if you guys remember the draft night later that night, the coach of Vanderbilt baseball, who 
is unarguably the best college coach in the land, said that Nick York was the best high school bat that he saw. Yeah. And Alex Spear himself said that they ranked him as a top 20 overall prospect, and they got him at 17. So I guess, you know, you can you can lean the 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 the, the MLB pipeline and some of the major publications say that they reached, or you can believe Heim Bloom stuck to his plan and got a kid that he thinks can be a real, you know, real contributor within the next five years, and then got a potential superstar in Blaze Jordan. So I just, uh, I, I think, like I said, I I think he killed. You know, him. and it just feels like they got direction though. Like it feels like they got some. They got some talent, you know, with this draft. You know, this is a team that it, it really needed that shot in the arm in the system. And, you know, we're not – no one's saying that that any of these guys, whether the, the four that were drafted or even the ones that were picked, you know, they're going to turn out to be, you know, top ten prospects. But doesn't it feel, like, good to know that it feels like the minor league system is starting to get back to what it used to be and what we're accustomed to? Oh, Yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, dra- drafting a 17-year-old kid is a crapshoot on a regular basis. Oh, but and when you add this, and these kids didn't even get to play their senior year in high school. So, you know, you're going right. by what they did as 16-year-olds, you know, trying to project that. So, Great point. Yeah, it's... yeah, and that's that's actually that's actually something that uh, the Red Sox said themselves, that if they – if 2020 had no pandemic, COVID-19 never happened, and Nick York played out his senior season in high school, they don't think he would have been there mm. at 17. Right. So, I mean, listen, you can you could be skeptical and you could be a cynic and you could poo-poo what they're saying, or you can buy into what they're saying. That's up to you. And both, you know, either or may be right in five years. We don't know. But looking at how they played it out, it seems like – Hein Bloom took his first draft as a Red Sox general manager or team builder and killed it. And even it, even in some of the ways he recruited some of the undrafted free agents shows how hard he works. You know, he had Xander Bogarts reach out to um, Cuba, Q, uh, Cuba yep. Bess. Yep. And he had like, so this guy is just, I just, I mean, I cannot sing Hein Bloom's praises enough. I just think this guy was the we you know we talked about it earlier we all were kind of eh we'll see how he pans out as a Red Sox team builder but you know based on what he did and the sweater oh, he wore yes, on Drastic <laughs> this guy is the man and it was good to see that he didn't rely completely on analytics you know they kind of went with the with exactly. the eyeball test too is this kid a player or is he not you know I I, I I'm what heartened good- by that. No, that's such a that's a fantastic point. That's such a major point to bring up because, you know, baseball seems to be running away with the analytics as everyone's kind of binky and everyone's go to. But he used those analytic things they made, but also there's no way like I mean he there's no way he didn't look into the potential stardom of a Blaze Jordan to take him and to reach out and sign him. Like this guy, man. I mean, I, I I keep saying it, but I just think he killed this draft. All right, we've uh, we're gonna we're gonna go off the rails now. You ready to go off the rails? 
I love Garth right. Rooks. Right, one so we have one more topic that we wanted to talk about. One more big news about an old favorite coming back, and that is Michael Keaton coming back as Batman. Word was uh, word has been leaked that he is in talks to reprise the role of Batman in the standalone Flash movie that uh, is in development, which will be the Ezra Miller character from the Justice League movie. So if you've listened to our podcast, you know we're kind of uh, superhero movie fan geeks. So we wanted to talk about this a little bit, seeing we go off the rails anyway. So let's really go off the rails. Absolutely. So, guys, what do you think of Michael Keaton coming back to play Batman 30 years after he first took on the role? I love it. I love it. Michael Keaton is awesome. As an actor, as any Michael Keaton is great. And Bill, you hit the nail on the head from the very first second that this rumor came out. You talk about the Flashpoint Paradox. Flashpoint. Flashpoint Paradox. Flashpoint. So the Flash is going to go back in time to save his parents or something, and in going back in time, Michael Keaton will reprise the role of Batman uh, as a, like an older gentleman. Not exactly. I love it. So in the Flashpoint storyline, the Flash does go back in time to try to save his mother from being killed. In doing so, he changes the entire timeline. So when he gets back to the present, not only is he not the Flash, he doesn't have the Flash's powers, everything else has changed. Superman is not Superman is oh, not yeah. there. Uh, Batman is there. He's much older because in that timeline, it was Bruce Wayne that was killed in the alley by the robber and thomas wayne his father went on to be batman so that's why i think this is a brilliant move if they if they oh. follow that storyline because he batman would be that much older so it wouldn't be bruce wayne it, right. it wouldn't be an older bruce wayne it would be his father and oh that's really cool so huh. so if that's the All case right. then that's i really like cool. it if they're bringing him back as an older bruce wayne batman yeah, maybe you can make that work if you're planning on spinning that off. I don't know if you guys remember Batman Beyond, which which was a cartoon that, um, that followed the, the animated series. Where an older that was the red chest. Yeah, he had a red. Yeah, and the older chest. Bruce yeah. Wayne mentored the new Batman, uh, you know, to be a superhero. So maybe that's the route that they're going. I kind of hope that they're going along with the Flashpoint storyline, and it's Thomas Wayne because that was a really really interesting story, and they actually made an animated movie out of it which if you get a chance, is called Flashpoint Paradox. Check it out. Yeah, uh, that's very cool. I would definitely be okay with that because that would make all of the check you, – you would check all the boxes there in terms of Michael Keaton coming back, being a Batman, an older Batman, uh, you know, to to the Flash's uh, – he goes back in time, comes – he goes back in time, but then when he comes – so what would the movie be? I guess maybe that's my confusion. He goes back in time, and the Batman is Tom Wayne, or he goes back in time, and then when comes, he comes back, back, when he comes to back to the time. present time, everything is different, and then he then he okay. gets together with Batman and tries to reset everything. But he doesn't have the flash. No, they have powers? to recreate the accident that gave him the powers. Okay. Oh, all right. So the, I mean, from what I've seen on Twitter. They are building this movie to be based around the Flashpoint paradox, so I imagine that's what the, you know the yeah, route they they're going to take. They usually and I'm make with it. you know major changes or, or whatever, but I hope they keep that loose storyline anyway. 
No, that's a great storyline. And I think Michael Keaton, if you don't love Michael Keaton, then are you really a fan of movies? <laughs> because he's just good he in everything. He's, uh, he's a poor man Tom Hanks. You know, he can do he can play drama, he can play I, comedy. I don't know. I think he's a rich man's Tom Hanks. I think Tom Hanks is Ooh, a poor man Michael praise. Keaton. That's high praise. Because Tom Hanks has great roles. Don't get me wrong. League of Their Own. Are you kidding? It's one of the best. But Michael Keaton is phenomenal. And he's so funny when you ask him to be funny. And he's so good when you ask him to portray drama. And I'm I'm all aboard. I'm all aboard on this. He I'm was uh, the Michael. He was the villain in the last. Was it the last Spider-Man movie? Oh, no, the Spider-Man, the first. But with Tom the first Holland. Spider-Man. The first. The first one with Tom yes. Holland. The first. And, ale- yeah, and exactly, allegedly yeah. between takes when they were on the set, Keaton would amble over to Tom Holland and whisper in his ear, "I'm Batman." Which <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> Which is absolutely awesome. And you know what? If you if you're a Marvel guy and you've watched some of the trailers that's come out, um, they leaked Michael Keaton talking to um, Jared Leto, kind of building up a Sinister Six plotline um, where he would play what is it the Vulture or whatever his character was, and you know he would build up with all the other five bad guys to go against Tom Holland. But you know what? Aside of the actor, I'm okay with. Uh, Michael Keaton being in DC and Marvel. I think he's just that great. I don't care. Sure. I have to tell you. I have to tell you. Michael Keaton is my favorite Batman. Um, out of all the Batman movies. That we've well, had, he was I, your I, first Batman, right? He's my first. He's, he's my first, first also. Yeah, it's like it's like your first love. You never forget. Um, Michael Keaton is my favorite Batman. Um, and actually, to be honest with you, I, I talk about watching Moneyball. You guys kind of got me wanting to watch the first Batman and I'm scrolling through Twitter, and uh, and then all of a sudden, Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, you know, showed up on there, and I'm like, I kind of want to watch the second one now too. Um, so well, we all know I, what Chris is about to do tonight. I'm gonna watch Batman, Batman Returns, and Moneyball. So I'll be up until three. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 excited for it. I, I'm gonna be. I'm, admittedly, I um, I so I struggle watching movies. I'm one of those that. For some reason, I can't sit down and watch a two-and-a-half-hour movie, but I can watch an entire season of a series in one sitting. I can't explain to you why that is. Um, I, I would watch this. I'm looking forward. I, I mean, it's a couple of years away, but, you, you know, you're, what you were saying, Matt, like, it's, it's – and, and even, like, how Bill was talking about the whole, like, plot, like, that, that's interesting. Like, that's – it's crazy, you know, how you explained it, but – Michael Keaton coming back, being Batman, bringing the world back to what we know, bring back Michelle Pfeiffer, throw in there as Catwoman, and on, but on top of that, when you talked about Michael Keaton, he was in an episode of Frasier, which, seen every episode of Frasier, we've talked about this in this podcast in the past, and put on a great role, was funny, um, even, even in that show, so... I'm looking forward to him reprising the role, happy it's not Val Kilmer, because he was my least favorite Batman. Oh, no, I, Kilmer. I, yeah. Kilmer was underrated. I, Kilmer was underrated. I agree. I Clooney. Agree. All right, well, those movies were very Clooney, entertaining. Clooney was. Uh, Clooney was. That but, was a stretch. Clooney was too. Clooney. Uh, Clooney didn't listen, even bother to change his it. voice or his persona between playing Bruce Wayne and, and Batman. You know, I agree. Just, 
He's but you know, I'm going to say Clooney. what people are too afraid to say. Damn. Clooney was too handsome to play Batman. Yeah. My wife has been my wife has been watching ER a lot lately. That hunk <laughs> cannot be Batman. The grizzled man that is Batman, you cannot make a guy that dreamy be Batman. I'm sorry, you can't. Right, so I guess with that being said, the newest Batman is from Twilight, which is Robert Pattinson is going to be the newest Batman. What's your thoughts on that? This might be a bold take, but I love it. Oh, boy. <laughs> I love it. I haven't <laughs> seen Robert Pattinson get such a bad rap because he was in Twilight, but guess what? You got to make money if you want to be an actor you gotta take roles like that robert pattinson is in enough movies with a you know showing that he's a good enough actor i think he's going to be a phenomenal batman and i think that robert pattinson or robert battinson as he's being called on the internet because he's gonna be batman i think when you know five years down the road ten years down the road when we look back on this three-part series that they're gonna release with him as Batman, people are going to completely revise what they think about him as an actor because they are going to love him as Batman. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I've never seen any of the Twilight movies. I, I just hope that he can physically play the part. And that's why I never really got bought Keaton or Kilmer or Bale as Batman because they weren't physically imposing. That's what Batman is supposed to be. And that's why I liked Affleck as Batman. Because he was physically... Affleck was beefy. Go ahead, Matt. No, I was saying Affleck was yeah, beefy. Yeah, I mean, he some of it was the suit, but I mean, yeah, he filled right. it out very well, and he was, you know, six foot four or whatever. So, you know, he could carry off that that aspect of Batman, which is so important. And the fight scene with him in Batman versus Superman, when he goes into that warehouse to rescue Superman's mother, by far the best fight scene in any Batman movie, maybe in any movie, period. No, I mean, no, I completely agree. That movie may have been a complete disaster without that that scene. I mean, he did. He, he it was great. It was great. So yeah, so we'll see. And uh, my first Batman growing up was Adam West. So seeing what they did in uh, with the Keaton Batman, and actually, I yeah. give I give I Man, give credit boom. to Tim Burton for that because that was his version and his take on the character. So I don't give it all to Keaton. I give a lot to Burton, but yeah, Keaton had to pull it off too. Also, no, no. With Batman, the this, you know, what what is such a quintessential aspect of making a Batman movie is the villain. Oh yes, absolutely. Right, and Tim Burton did a phenomenal job. I mean, Danny DeVito as Penguin. You cannot cast a better person to be the Penguin in the history of of the world. Or Nicholson as the Joker. I mean, that that or was Nic a major exactly. major or Nicholson casting. as the Joker. So, you know, that I think is what is, you know, that is the hardest, that is the biggest obstacle in making a Batman movie is how can you build up the bad guy? And, you know, because of Heath Ledger and his passing, the Joker is almost like persona non grata. Like, you need to, yeah. you need to kill it if you yeah, want to be the Joker. Yeah, and the two guys that have played him since Heath Ledger did not do that. In my opinion, I agree. Even though Joaquin Phoenix won, uh, was an Oscar or whatever on his portrayal, I thought that movie personally was yeah, boring. Yeah, it, it was a very bizarre movie. It, w it wasn't really 
wasn't really the Joker as we know the Joker. It was more of an origin story. And even even once he did get to that point, I didn't think he was quite what the Joker had been in the comic books. But yeah, but if it weren't for Heath Ledger's take on the Joker, you know, we might be saying that was the greatest Joker of all time. But you know, Ledger just absolutely blew it away. I don't, you know, that's no, what everybody. Yeah, Heath, that's I that's mean, the Heath bar is set so so high now for that character. Right, that that Joker, you know, the way he carried himself in that movie, being a true, and I hate to use this term because it it's really polarizing in our world today, but he was a true like terrorist and about chaos and didn't give psychopath. a crap about money or status. He was just like please psychopath, correct? He is the bar for the Joker. You know, Jared Leto being this attractive gangster Joker. It's for the birds, in my opinion. I don't like it. And even Joaquin Phoenix being the Joker, my like I said, I thought it was boring. I don't even think it was that good. I don't. I, so I, you know, if you're gonna do more Batman, you, I, I, you know, I heard that they're going to bring the Batman back. I mean, the bat, the new Batman series will also have the Joker. It just it it becomes tired, right? Like it just becomes like a bit exhausting. Oh. And I don't. I mean, who knows where they'll go with it? But you know. Yeah. Hope. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's like I said, the bar is set so so high for the Joker. You almost have to go somewhere else to start out, and then maybe come back to it later. You know, right. get some distance between between uh, Heath Ledger and and whatever new guy comes out. No, that's so true. Because I mean, like we we just said that Heath Ledger Joker was so phenomenal. All right, so we're totally off the rails now, so maybe it's a good time to wrap this up. <laughs> Any final words? I think we covered it all. No, I, I oh. mean, just kind of... Oh, go ahead, go, go. I just have one uh, thing to say. Uh, it is addressing the Kiwoom heroes and their decision to sign Addison Russell. Um, I don't know how I feel about that because he has a checkered pass that makes me very uneasy and it makes uh, me not want to root for him, but I love the heroes. And if they did their background and they just, they, they, they made the decision that he's deserving of a second chance. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to root for the heroes to win. And if he helps them win, I'm going to be conflicted, but I just have to say, you know, it is what it is. I don't know. I, I guess I just said a bunch of stuff to really not say anything. All right, I have one question for you. Do you still want the hat? All right. Of course I want the hat. I'm a Kiwoom Heroes fan till I die. The Kiwoom Heroes play in the morning. I either watch them at 4 or 5.30 a.m. Baseball's not on at that See, you've time. See, got, you've got a young baby. So you can get up. You have to get up that early, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Having Having a child who's four months old has directly made me a tremendous Kiwoom Heroes fan because I get up with her and I just put baseball on. And she's so young. She loves seeing like the green grass and like the graphics. So she gets into it. So it's like, oh, me and my baby watching Yagu. Yagu South Korean for baseball. We bring baseball knowledge, comic book knowledge, and foreign languages. What more can you ask for from a podcast? I, I mean, we do bring you everything. The Red Sox podcast to be named later is the podcast you want to listen to if you want to listen to parenting advice, 
baseball advice, oh, marriage advice, yeah, guys domestic marriage, advice, domestic marriage advice, anything, COVID we, advice. We should really anything. branch these off into like separate podcasts so they're not all two hours long. You know what, though? I have to say the fact that we can go over an hour up to two hours at a time, really, no even when there's no baseball, really shows how good we are as a threesome. As a menage a trois. Whoa, hey now, we're not going into that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to beep out, not going to get beeped out after the and, and especially with the okay. ratio that we have here? No, we're not doing that. A bene, a, how do you how do you implement baseball into that? A baseball menage a three bag. We're a three-bagger. three-bagger. Or like, that, that is the name of the podcast. A three-bagger? three-bagger. Well, I, I like three ducks three. on a pond. We had talked about that, too. Three ducks on the pond, but no, I'm sticking with podcast to be named later. No, our podcast name's great, but we are a we are three wild and crazy guys. That's probably a little before your time. (laughs) Oh no, three amigos. Anyway, I'm I'm totally lost now. My my brain is everybody listening at home. We've gone off the rails again. What else? Again. All right, Chris. Any final word? Uh, yeah, I got a, one is just scrolling through Twitter. I think that somehow Rob Bradford has tapped into the podcast and he wrote an article talking about a potential wild and crazy trade deadline this season from Major League Baseball that he released six minutes ago. So I find that to be kind of funny. So, uh, you guys might be, uh, might be right with Mookie Betts. Um, other thing is just, uh, check out the, um, just check out the, the, the website and, and click on the shop. There's a lot of really Cool brand new merchandise that's dropped the um, the Fourth of July with the red, white, and blue in the uh, syndicate name. On top of that, hats are now available. So um, just keep uh, keep buying that merch. Buy merch, and we're gonna have some new stuff coming out. I'm sure, uh, James will drop that down pretty soon as uh, more stuff comes out. Yeah, I actually just got the Fourth um, of July shirt, and I wore it to work today. "Quote unquote work." I walked downstairs to my office in my house and worked remotely, but I wore it to work today. And I did a couple of video, no, you I did, did a couple of video work. conference That's calls fair. with it when it with the shirt on. So, yeah. So if you uh, go ahead, Chris. I, no, I was just gonna say I ordered the hat. I, I ordered a hat a couple of days ago. I think it said it's not gonna be here until like the second week of July, something like that. But I got the uh, snapback hat. So I'll be able to uh, rep that going out because I, I do enjoy wearing a baseball cap. So looking forward to it. Other than that, that's that's really it. Hopefully uh, we actually get baseball and I can get excited again. I need to be excited again, guys. Get excited. You know what, Chris? Go watch Long Gone Summer and go watch Junior. That'll get you excited. And the Kai Wooten Heroes. Well, I have – I got – Oh, Kai Wooten <laughs> I got a lot to watch right now. I got the two Batman movies. I got Moneyball. <laughs> you want to get excited about baseball? Definitely watch the Kaiba Heroes. They had three walk-off wins last week, bro. Three. I know. We've seen your tweets on them. Two of them came from their third-string catcher that they brought up that week. You know what, Matt? What we need to do is we need to continue to push your love for this team because I watched a thing on 30 for 30 where there was a fan from like South Korea who's a huge Royals fan that became like an internet Twitter phenomena 
in regards to like the Royals team in Kansas City, and mm-hmm. he got like flown in during the World Series and everything else. That could be you. I I don't think it could be me. I'm gonna go ahead and go on a limb and say it should be me. <laughs> Listen, Send you to South Korea. I would. I I told my wife we were talking about like overall destinations for vacations in the future. South Korea jolted into my number one, so I can go see a Kaiwoo Heroes game. That's dedication. Forget that's the, all I can say is forget the that's tape. dedication. We're going, we're going to Seoul this year. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I can't. I cannot. Like, I could go on a. I could do an hour podcast, ranting about how phenomenal the KBO has been and how much I love them, but I won't. <laughs> I'll just leave it at this. Buy me the app. Buy me the app, fans. There's a, there's a, there's a corduroy hat. Kiwoo Heroes. Buy it and send it to my, send it to my house. All right, now I really think we're done. <laughs> All right, go to our True. website, www.bostonsportssyndicate.com. That's where you can get links to all of the articles on our website and a link to buy merch from our, uh, what do we call that? Merch store. Yes, that's what we call it. Uh, check There's us out on Twitter and Instagram, at Boston Sports Sin. And we also have the Red Sox podcast to be named later twitter site at red Sox underscore i'm sorry at red Sox pod underscore bss and chris we just hit 300 followers in that didn't we we did we uh we broke 300 a couple days ago next stop 500 awesome spread the word get us there check out get our facebook there. page boston sports syndicate guys always a pleasure talking with you thank you so much it was fun. It I was love fun. you guys. Right. Thank you. So remember, wear your mask, over your nose, please, and buy merch. We'll catch you later. Hashtag buy merch. Later. Boston Sports Syndicate. Music for the Boston Sports Syndicate provided by I Am CDM and Jay Kelly. <laughs>